You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 88, by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James Hines, entitled Concerning the Astral World and Devakon. This is Lecture 22.8, which is the eighth lecture of the fourth section, entitled Laws of the Universe and Human Destiny, a Christmas lecture, given in Berlin on December 21st, 1903. Follow me in thought for a few moments into an ancient Egyptian temple to a ceremony that was celebrated around midnight on those days that correspond to our Christmas day. On this day, or better said, around midnight, one of the four pictures that were shown only four times per year was unveiled and carried before a small gathering of people who had been prepared for this temple service. This picture was locked up in the innermost sanctuary of the temple all year long and was strictly held secret. On this day it was carried out by the oldest sacrificial priest, and a ceremony was held in front of it, which I would like to describe to you very briefly. After the oldest priest had carried out the radiant portrait of Horus, the sign of Isis and Osiris, Four wise priests in white vestments stepped in front of this picture. The first wise priest in white vestments spoke before the picture the following words, quote, Horus, you who are the sun in the kingdom of the spirit, and you who send us the light of wisdom, just as the sun bestows upon us the light of the world, lead us so that in the end we will no longer be what we are today. Close quote. This temple priest entered from the east. The second temple priest entered from the north and spoke approximately the following words, Horus, you, son in the kingdom of spirit, you who bestow upon us love, just as the sun is the bestower of warming forces, which draw forth the forces of the plants and fruits, so that we can become what we are not yet. And, the third temple priest came forward and said, quote, Horus, you, son in the kingdom of the spirit, bestow upon us your strength, just as the sun bestows upon the physical world its strength, with which it dissipates the darkest clouds and spreads light everywhere. Close quote. After this third sacrificial priest had spoken, a fourth priest stepped forward and said approximately the following, quote, The three wisest of us have spoken. They are my brothers, but they are beyond the sphere in which I am still. I am the representative of you all. And he meant the representative of the crowd. And he said, I will lead your voice. I will speak for you who stand there as though you have not yet come of age. I will tell my older brothers that you long for the great goal of the world, where human destiny and the eternal laws of the universe will be reconciled. Quote. This was to be understood in this hour by those who were sufficiently prepared, 
just as once the unchangeable laws of the universe and human destinies were one. If we understand the ceremonies that unfold in Asia, India, and even in China on Christmas, then we understand what is really sounding forth in the bells that ring at Christmas. Since ancient times the world has been called a macrocosm and the human being a microcosm. These terms were meant to indicate that the human being has forces within him or herself that are outside in the big world. But it was not only the calculating intellect that called the human being the world in miniature, but also the feeling soul that says to us that we should look up to the stars. Here the words of the philosopher Kant apply, quote, Two things fill our souls with constantly new and increasing wonder and reverence, the starry heavens above me and the moral law within me. Close quote. How different macrocosm and microcosm are when we observe them from a different point of view. Precisely with respect to the macrocosm, with its immutable eternal laws, those who belong among the most profound knowers are filled with deepest wonder and reverence. None of those who know, who really understand the wisdom of the world, have stood before the creating world spirit without being filled with wonder. Kepler, one of the first people of the modern age, one who first became familiar with these immutable laws, spoke the words, quote, who could look into the wonderful structure of the whole world and not be filled with wonder at the Creator who instilled these laws? Those who know admire the eternal laws of the starry heavens most of all. With respect to human destiny, things appear to be different. Goethe said that he gladly escaped from vacillating human beings to the solid rules of eternal nature and that the moral law with its Kant's categorical imperative appeared to him to be trapped in crazy paths. In yet another way, we can feel the difference between the human heart and the spirit of the world, the macrocosm. We feel this difference if we consider the connection between human destiny and human character. Who would burden a volcano with responsibility? Indeed, no one. However, we must indeed burden a person who causes mischief, pain, and suffering. Who would speak of the justice or injustice of nature? And why is it, then, that the good suffer and the evil are happy? We see harmony in the macrocosm. How are we to regard this harmony? The ceremony that I described to you portrays clearly what is contained in this festival, which is so little understood and will pass over us in a few days. The starry heavens, with its immutable laws, were not always the cosmos that appears to us today. This cosmos came forth from chaos. What we have today evolved from surging waves of forces. The laws of Kepler and Copernicus that cause us to admire the wisdom of the spirit of the universe have not always applied. Today they appear as if poured forth and elevated beyond justice and injustice. In this realm, we cannot question good and evil. But we can certainly ask about this when it comes to human beings. Today we set the question before us. Why do we ask about good and evil, justice and injustice, 
with respect to human beings? And why are we not allowed to ask these questions with respect to the macrocosm? In the past, when the world was still a billowing ocean, there was still a surging sea of feelings sweeping through space, a sea of wishes and passions outside in the universe, existing between what the eyes could see, the ears could hear, the senses perceive, and what appears to us in the laws of harmony. These passions in the universe, which were in the middle between the laws and chaos, had first to be overcome. Those today who attempt to behold with their eyes the wishes and passions of the universe in the distant, distant primal past can barely still perceive the body of passions, shining and transparent, star-bright, barely perceptible with the finest instruments of the seer, it still shines in every atom ever since chaos was overcome. What brought the astral body of the cosmos to rest has not yet achieved the same goal in human beings. In human beings the astral body still surges. What has already happened in the course of millions of years in the cosmos, what has already reached its goal, this in human beings is still in a state of becoming. And when we follow human beings from incarnation to incarnation, when we see them in their various bodies, and then follow them in their astral bodies, then we see that the astral body gets brighter and purer from incarnation to incarnation. In the beginning we saw the human permeated by dull passions. These are reminiscent of the passions of the time when the world was still in chaos. But the brightness and clarity that we see in the astral body of the great universe today will gradually evolve in human beings. Because the wise people of ancient times knew the connection between human becoming and the being of the world, for this reason they called the world macrocosm and the human being microcosm. Human beings must look toward the goal that they can set before them to become like the macrocosm, to permeate themselves with the same blessedness and peace that today flows through the cosmos as the law of the universe. Just as little as we today can interrogate the lawfulness of the cosmos concerning justice and injustice, just as little will the human being one day be able to ask whether his or her destiny harmonizes with the law. Pure law is the law of the cosmos, and pure human spirit should one day become the destiny of the human being. This is the path of destiny that the human spirit in its various incarnations passes through. We are becoming increasingly radiant as a star and increasingly similar to the destiny of the cosmos. Karma is the law under which we all suffer. What we have done in one incarnation bears fruit for us in later incarnations. What happens to us now we have caused in previous incarnations. But karma is a law that not only distributes guilt and expiation, disharmony and harmony in the right way, it is also a law that guides us up to the highest pinnacle of the human spirit. The left and right sides of the great world book of karma will have found a balance. Everything for which we have fallen into debt 
we will have transformed into a bright, glowing light of the astral body. Everything that we have experienced as flawed or defective will have found its balance. Karma is consumed in fire. When the indebtedness of existence is no longer present, we will go our own way, just as the sun goes its path, is incapable of deviating from its path, not even a little. Then we will follow the laws that have been implanted in us, just like the sun in the starry heavens. That is our path. That is our goal. This will one day be the harmony between human destiny and the laws of the universe. This path through life, this pilgrimage, does not proceed in the same way with all human beings. Exactly as the perfect exists next to the imperfect in nature, just as a worm is next to higher animals that are already present, so an imperfect human spirit can be found right next to a perfect one in the spiritual world. Those who honestly and uprightly believe in spiritual evolution must also have faith in spiritual science and its teaching concerning human forerunners. Forerunners are those who have already gone a stretch further ahead of us along the path that we all must traverse. Individuals have already gone ahead. Since the beginning of recorded history, they have overtaken us. They have achieved a higher stage in the evolution of humanity. In this way, they have become leaders, guides of humanity. Just as a more highly evolved animal stands above a worm, the rishis, the masters, stand above humanity. They achieved this in earlier times because they blazed another path of knowledge, a steeper, more dangerous path that is connected with endless danger. No one is permitted to take this path for his or her own sake alone. Those who do this can easily founder and fall into deep abysses. They can lose their existence for a time or become a torturing spirit of people. In short, no one is allowed to seek this path for acquiring knowledge faster out of self-seeking or egotism. Only those who vow to spiritual beings the existence of which ordinary people have no idea with a vow that can never be broken Only those who take this vow can tread this path of knowledge to become leaders of humanity, forerunners of humanity. Such leaders of humanity have never used this knowledge for themselves. They strive for knowledge in order to help humanity, in order to help it rise up to the place where human destiny and the world harmonize with one another. These human forerunners who have purified their astral body of desires and passions live in our midst, and have always lived in our midst. Buddha had such a body already, a star-radiant astral body. When he and his disciple Ananda were once traveling together, the Buddha was dissolved in a cloud of light, in radiant streaming light, that was an astral body that had come to rest. The radiant halo is nothing other than a symbol for the radiant astral body of the founders of Christianity. The human forerunners are an immediate imprint of the macrocosm as advancing brothers of humanity. It is to be shown that they, in quotes, burned up, that is, fulfilled their karma, that there are no further debts to repay, 
that they can no longer deviate from the primeval wisdom of the world, that they can with certainty lead humanity, with the same certainty with which the sun follows its path across the heavens and cannot deviate from this prescribed path. The halo expresses that they can no longer wander away from the path that has been laid out for humanity. As certainly as the sun goes its path over the vault of the heavens, they go their path on earth. And just as the sun sends its light and warmth over all the earth, they send the love from their hearts to the hearts of their fellow brothers and sisters. These forerunners are, out of their own strength, absolutely solid with respect to all temptation. One could show them, one could offer them every kingdom of glory of this world. They will not accept it. The one and only thing they want is to be one with the primal spirit from which they have come forth. Thus in this life these people want to be a macrocosmos themselves. This has been their consciousness. This is also present in all religions. Those who know the origin of religions know that it has always been the case that in all religions the founders looked up to the stars of the macrocosm as to the primal eternal law of the universe that rules the heavens. These forerunners were like radiant suns for initiates and those who were further evolved. When humanity was to be shown how karma works, the image of the sun in the temple was shown to them. It signified the destiny like the path of the sun in the course of the universe. Amito is the same for the Chinese when they revered the Buddha as the sun, S-O-N, among the gods of heaven. Bracket, Ger- German editors note, the manuscript does not give the name Steiner mentioned here. However, the Chinese characterization of Dhyana Buddha is derived from the Sanskrit word Amitabha and means, quote, possessing immeasurable light, close quote. Therefore, it is assumed that Amito is the name mentioned, close bracket. And it was the same for the Hindus when they displayed Krishna resting in the arms of the Deva Mother. The Christmas festival goes through all religions. It is a festival that should bring to human consciousness that our destiny should one day be an imprint of the destiny of the macrocosmos. The spiritual sun lives in Christianity just as much as in the ancient religions. In the life of Christ, there should also be a direct image of the sun speeding across the firmament. For this reason, the celebration of his birthday was moved to the festival of Christmas. Bracket Weihnachten, the German word for Christmas is, quote, nights of consecration, close quote, or, in quotes, holy nights, close bracket. Let us consider why. What happens with the sun at the time of the winter solstice? The days again become longer after the shortest day has passed. The light struggles out of the darkness again. The sun, which has been in darkness for the greater part of the day, is born anew, and as a newborn sun it now sends its light. The birth of the light was celebrated at midnight because the light was born again out of the darkness. In the same way, the light of wisdom should be born, the light that is portrayed by the human forerunners. The sun appears again anew, the one that moves across the firmament above. 
Its birth is a symbol for the birth of the human forerunners, who just as assuredly traverse their paths as the universe bears harmony within. In the beginning there were various Christian sects. Among them the festival of the Savior was celebrated at several different times. There were 135 different days in the first Christian times. Only at the beginning of the 5th century was a unified date settled upon, that is, today's Christmas festival. It was intentionally assigned to this date in order to establish for this Christian festival the same symbolism that had echoed through the entire ancient world. Even a church father, who had been declared to be a saint by the church, found it to be justified and in keeping with the meaning of Christianity. He tells us that Christians are acting properly when they celebrate Christmas at the same time that the Romans celebrate the birth of Mithras and the Greeks the birth of Dionysus. The festival should have the same underlying meaning as the Mithras festival and the Dionysus festival, for they also celebrate the birth of the human forerunners. Thus Christendom has set up Christmas the twelve holy nights as a symbol that should again and again bring to consciousness that karma must be burned up, must be paid in full, so that harmony between macrocosm and microcosm, which is not yet present today, one day will be present, so that even human beings will one day follow the immutable laws from which they must not be allowed to stray. Horus, the son of Osiris and Isis, the symbol of human existence and the goal of humanity, was shown to the gathered crowds at midnight, shown to be the sun in the spiritual kingdom, that he is the same as the power of warmth and light from the sun. In the same way that the three wise sacrificial priests joyfully bowed down, in just precisely this way, the three wise kings from the east bowed down to the Christ child as portrayed in Christian legend. They follow the star, they follow the light. A deeper meaning lies in the visit of the three wise men from the east. It is the same three wise men who were active in the service of Horus. And who now say that one is born to us who will follow his path as unwaveringly as the star that has led us. The star is still far from us. But when one day this law will be our own we will be like the one who bears the immutable law within him. Just as the star is our ideal, so is the one who is born under it our model. What the Egyptians celebrated became a fact in history, an event in the world. For this reason the founder of Christianity could call together his disciples for the Sermon on the Mount. That is why it is called this. He called them away to a mountain. Mountain means secret place or place of mysteries, where the most intimate pupils were taught. The German translation of the Bible contains here a terrible error. Quote, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Close quote. Actually, the truth is that it means, quote, Blessed are those who are beggars for the spirit, for they will find in themselves the kingdom of heaven. Close quote. What did Jesus want to make of his disciples? He wanted to make those who were beggars for the Spirit blessed. Only those who had been introduced to the secrets of the temple could learn the truth. The founder of Christianity 
wanted to carry this wisdom out to all the world. Not only those rich in spirit were to receive the grace of wisdom. No, all those who stood outside and are also beggars for spirit, those are the ones who are to find the kingdom of heaven. Earlier people found it in the secrets of the temple. Now they are to find this blessedness not only in the temple places, but also in themselves. The kingdom of heaven that was placed before them as the harmonious model of human destiny, they were to find within. They are to ascend to the pinnacle where a balance between mutable, erring human hearts and the immutable laws of the macrocosm can take place. This is what the Christmas bells are to bring to our awareness according to the original intentions of the initiates. The bells point us to what shows how karma leads us to our goal, how the laws of the world and human destiny are connected. And it is the deepening through theosophy that should bring all this to our attention again. Many festivals that we celebrate today thoughtlessly, whose deeper significance we do not know, contain a deeper wisdom for which we can thank their origins. The festival events were a meaningful sign for ancient peoples because those peoples were connected with the macrocosmic world. The mystery of the heart and of this immutable law sounds forth to us through the ringing of the Christmas bells. In the midst of life, theosophy can bring us again the deeper wisdom, the kernel of religious creeds. It will show us to what extent they contain truth. And when we recognize this wisdom again, then in the highest sense, what is expressed in harmony between the law of the universe and human destiny will gradually be fulfilled through the beautiful words, quote, May peace be with all beings. Close quote. The end of lecture 22.8.